0: Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos, como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además, tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7,99. Y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos, hasta
1: las 3 p.m. Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters se excluyen de los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com.
0: From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., you are on the Hill. Tom Fitzgerald here with you. Nicole Mason is the president and the CEO for the Institute of Women's Policy Research. And she joins us on the Hill to talk about the role of women in the 2020 Democratic presidential race. Nicole, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation.
0: Um As we sit here right now, when we record this, we're 22 days away from the Iowa caucus and you would be forgiven if you would be a little bit surprised that as we were about to see the votes cast for Iowa, we're down to only now two women candidates for president. There were six at one point. Nicole, what happened?
1: Well, that's a really good question and a really long story. But to make a long story short, a lot of women got lock, knocked out of the race for a variety of reasons cash flow. Um, they, Some of them just were not resonating with voters across the country. Some of them didn't have really strong policy platforms. And when you think about the two women who are left, Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren, they have resonated with voters, they have strong policy positions, and both of them have really been able to raise significant amounts of money to stay in the race. But I wanna be very clear that these two women are really fighting in the you know, for place and um, they haven't gotten the same kind of coverage, media coverage, as some of the male candidates. And so they're, they're not only fighting for airspace, they're fighting for to be heard and for their positions, their policy positions to be taken seriously or been given the space to talk about the issues that mm. matter to them. And so both of them, for the two women who are left, uh, they're fighting, they're in the fight of their lives, their political lives.
0: Uh, let's go back through, through a couple of Kirsten Gildebrandt, Senator from New York, was um, highly touted going into this election cycle. She had been, you know, front and center during the Brett Kavanaugh uh, hearings, a, a leading voice in the effort to uh, fight back against uh, sexual harassment, workplace discrimination, not only in society, but in the United States Congress it, 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 as well. Um, but she did face some, some, some backlash from people in our own party particularly when it came to the issue of of senator al franken uh that gilderbrand had been one of the first to come out and say that franken had to resign uh from the united states and and he did uh did kirsten gilderbrand uh come into the race um with kind of a, a title of of the Me Too candidate, was that an issue for her as she tried to broaden the scope of what she was about that people kinda only saw her through this one prism or this one subject?
1: That's a really good candidate. So what I wanna say about the women candidates with the exception of Mary, of maybe Marianne Williamson who added a lot of color but Mm -hmm. was really out of her depth. All the women who were running for candidate for presidential, for the nomination were all extremely qualified to be there. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, I think all candidates face a question around messaging. Who are they going to be? How are they going to stick out from the crowd? And Kirsten Gillibrand had an additional challenge because she had spoken up so passionately about sexual harassment and Al Franken and, and faced a little backlash because of that. And that defined in large part her campaign. So she had a hard time breaking away from from that and how people saw her. Um, but. When we think about as a whole, um, some of the other male candidates have also faced similar claims or issues. Joe mm-hmm. Biden around Anita Hill uh, and, um, you know, not stepping up fast enough during those hearings and being a champion. But it didn't seem to hurt him in the same way that it hurt Kirsten Gillibrand. So we have to look at some other factors that might be at play.
0: It, and it, it it's, it's not fair. I mean, women can talk about an issue and, and the media will kind of paint them as that's their only issue but yet male candidates do this all the time yeah and they don't nobody looks at bernie sanders and says bernie sanders is the health care for all candidate they just says he they just say he's bernie sanders
1: well let's just talk about bernie sanders and okay. how he's doing in the polls especially in iowa what is really striking to me is that bernie sanders had a heart attack on the trail if Elizabeth Warren had, had a heart attack on the trail they would have ridden her off and she her campaign would have been over
0: well you look at what happened to Hillary Clinton during the general absolutely. election she had pneumonia for, for gosh sakes and and people acted like she was
1: on her death you know, bed. her deathbed absolutely so we have to look at the other factors that might be at play a little bit of sexism um, from the, the electorate part of the, you know part of it is the electorate but also the media and I think the sort of mistakes that women that women make, um, are really scrutinized in a different way. If we look at Kamala Harris and her. Campaign. She was scrutinized in ways that other candidates were not, I mm-hmm. mean, um, it really cost her. She was doing really. Uh, she was doing well enough in the polls, so she could have stayed a bit longer. But there were a few hit pieces that came out about her campaign that really sealed the deal and took her out of the race. We haven't seen that c- level of scrutiny uh, of male candidates and campaigns, and we haven't seen them taken out in the same way.
0: You know, I, I always say that running for political office is a, that's a little bit like making sausage you really don't want to see (laughs) how the process is done and and my, my point in that is that all campaigns are messy behind absolutely the scenes so why was it that kamala harris's campaign was subject to this one story that rolled everybody's eyes up in the back of their head uh in in ways that we had not seen put to any of the other candidates
1: well it was a dog pile it was a it was a dog pile and the same thing happened with amy klobuchar early on there was a few bad press that, uh, there was a little bit of bad press about how she treated her um, she was mean she was mean she was, mean she was, to was, her was staff. mean she was eating with a comb there was a lot of <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a uh, lot of those kinds of stories and that really hurt her campaign early on but when we think about um uh, Bar- Bernie Sanders, he had some things come out about um, paying his his uh, people who worked on his campaign disparately. There was pay disparity between men and women mm-hmm. and some other things. And um, Joe, Joe Biden's campaign, we don't really know much about his operation. Mm-hmm. But like you said, we know that it's not um, – it's like sausage making. Mm-hmm. But women – the women candidates have really been held to a different standard and expected to not only run perfect campaigns, raise a lot of cash, have all the answers around policies. One of the things that and when I think about Elizabeth Warren and um, her health care plan, people really wanted to know and for her to explain line by line what was going on and how she was going to pay for it. Again, when I think about the male candidates that have, have been allowed to coast. Sanders. 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 Mm-hmm uh Biden, Buttigieg, we haven't seen really any substantive policies come out of their campaigns and so they've had nothing to really test or we haven't and so um and then when we look on the Republican side the same is the case um, even in 2016 when, when Trump was talking about building the wall, there was no litmus test about the money, how much it was going to cost, how unrealistic mm-hmm. it was. It was just he was allowed to say it and people took it for what it was.
0: So when you read a story about say Amy Klobuchar and that Amy Klobuchar maybe is short tempered with her staff and maybe pulled a air pick out of her purse on a plane to eat a salad and was annoyed with the staffer that the staffer didn't bring a fork. It, it, it occurs to me if that had been written about a male candidate, people would have said what? They would have said he's hard charging. Yes. They would have said he's. he's intense, he has high standards. Uh, 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 demanding of his staff. Um, but yet you apply those same dynamics to a female candidate, and all of a sudden, it's something completely different.
1: Well, women in the workplace have a hard time and I think women who are in the public eye and running for public office also have a hard time because they're faced with a lot of gender stereotypes about who women should be and what kind of candidates they should be. Should they be nurturing? Should they be um, hard nose, uh, you know, if they're too tough, uh, they get labeled. If they are, they're shrills. If they are too soft, um, they can't do the job because they're worried about, they might cry or something. So all these stereotypes, women are really, um, balancing a really, uh, you know, narrow tightrope and who they can be politically, where I believe male candidates have a really more diverse, um, tableau, if you will, mm-hmm. to um, express themselves. And even when men get angry or they cry or show emotion, it's not viewed in the same way as women political uh, candidates. And so that's problematic. And what I'm afraid of in 2020, I'm not sure who the candidate is going to be, um, but mm-hmm. I, what I'm afraid of is that we haven't addressed some of the bias that happened to Hillary Clinton and when uh, in 2016. And because we haven't addressed it If a woman makes it um, as a nominee or as the vice presidential, she's on the ticket. She's going to face some of those same problems. So I really think we have some work to do.
0: We're going to talk more about Hillary Clinton and uh, the candidates are still remaining in the 2020 presidential lease. You're listening to the On the Hill podcast from Fox 5 D.C. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., this is the On the Hill podcast. I'm Tom Fitzgerald. We're speaking with Nicole Mason. She is the president and the CEO of the Institute for Women's Policy Research. Nicole, thanks for joining us.
1: So glad to be here. When
0: we left before the break, we were talking about um, Hillary Clinton. And four years ago, something historic happened in this country in that a major political party nominated a woman for the very first time to run as their candidate for the president of the United States here we are four years later we have two candidates remaining uh, in the Democratic presidential field how has Hillary Clinton's experience in the 2016 race affected how you see the remaining female candidates in 2020 mounting their campaigns and going forward
1: so I don't believe Hillary Clinton gets a lot of credit for The barrier she was able to break down and blast through and the ceiling the glass ceiling that she was able to shatter um because of her and um, many of the women who came before her um we had six women running for office or uh, and they were actually i really want to i think this is really important women were the first in this election cycle to throw their hat in the ring starting with elizabeth warren Mm -hmm. and then amy klobuchar and then kirsten Gillibrand, and then you know it just it it just goes on and on um, until we got six candidates but now we're down to two and i don't think we are as alarmed as we should be about the fact that there are only two women candidates left in the race and we have to be very Mm -hmm. honest i only think one is going to survive um and so and we don't know how she will survive. Will she get the nomination? If she doesn't get the nomination, will she be um, on the ticket as the vice president? We just don't know.
0: It's a record number of women who ran this, this cycle. But who really influenced that more? Was it Hillary Clinton? Or was it the election of Donald Trump as president of the United States?
1: You know, that's a really good question because, you know, after Donald Trump was elected, we saw women take to the streets. You know for the 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 women's march and there were millions of women and then 20 in 2018 we saw women uh, running for office and becoming elected in record numbers and they turned out um in terms of voter turnout they 18 to 29 women turned out uh at 30 33 percent uh and that was higher than their male counterparts so we saw it was a wave and so uh i do believe that 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 2018 inspired many women who may have not been thinking about running for president to get into the race. Mm -hmm. I think what we didn't anticipate at the time is these things that would prevent them for from being able to advance. Mm -hmm. Um, And those things I think are cash flow issues. So women willing people willing to donate to the campaigns of women candidates. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't anticipate the sexism and misogyny that women would face as they were running and trying to shape their platforms. And we anticipated that a little bit um, from, or at least I did, from mm-hmm. seeing Hillary's campaign. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's still there, it's still shaping how we see women presidential candidates mm-hmm. um, is really uh, problematic.
0: In our area, as we sit here in Washington, D.C., the mayor of the District of Columbia is a woman, Mary Earl Bowser. You go over to Maryland, the brand new speaker of the Maryland House of Delegates, Adrienne Jones, is an African-American woman. Go down to Richmond, Virginia, the new speaker of the Virginia House of Delegates, Eileen Fillercorn, is the first woman to ever hold that job, uh, the first person of Jewish descent to ever hold that job. A lot of people focus, in, for obvious reasons, in a presidential year on, on the presidential race. But what do you see when you look out over state and and local races? Because it seems like there is just more and more and more news about women not only being in politics, but having senior top leadership positions in government.
1: So that's that's the good news. So yesterday I was with a group of 20 potential candidates, uh, women candidates in the state of Maryland. They were all thinking about and contemplating running for office. Mm-hmm. And that was amazing. And so what we're seeing across the country is women saying, I can do this. I, these issues, the issues that I care about, I want to be able to advocate for beyond the ballot box. And they are stepping up and running for office. And what we know is that when women lead or women, women hold positions of power, it's good for everyone. And it's good for the country. And what that hasn't translated to is us thinking about that in the same way at the national level that Mm -hmm. when women are in positions of power even though we know like look at nancy pelosi that is a powerful woman she's probably she will go down as one of the the best speakers in u.s history but that hasn't there's cognitive dissonance that hasn't translated to hey you know what women are actually good at this they could lead they could lead our country That hasn't happened. That connection hasn't happened for voters, um, at least at the national level, where there's a connection about women as strong leaders, even though we see it happening all the time and in our cities and communities as well. But is
0: that something, you know, you you can't be the first until you are the first. You know, there was no African-American president in this country's history until Barack Obama did it. Mm. Would it take a female candidate doing it? to enact that kind of change that you're talking about because as important as the Speaker of the House is, and she is important and the job is important, it's not sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue, it's not the White House you're not driving the train there.
1: You're absolutely right. And I believe that we do need to see a woman actually get the nomination. Getting the nomination is great, but that's not enough. Mm-hmm. We need to see a woman win the White House. And the thing that is preventing that from happening and i think we have a lot of work to do well there's a lot of things there's voter suppression but there's also attitudes about who can lead and the biases around who can lead particularly around women leaders is what's hurting the chance of there ever being a woman you know at 1600 Pennsylvania well,
0: let's examine that for a minute because you know when you're talking about the speaker house talking about Nancy Pelosi running a legislative body that's one thing the job of the president comes with another title, and that's commander in chief. Absolutely. Um, does that factor into what you're talking about? That even in 2020, people will look at a female candidate and and maybe not see a commander in chief.
1: Yes, but that's because of sexism and bias. That has nothing to do with capability. Because if we were going by capability, I'm sorry to say Donald Trump would not be our commander in chief. Uh, so I just want to be very clear. It's about sexism and not about capacity, capability, or experience. Because mm. when Hillary, Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, uh, so she had the bona fides there. So this, you know, I, I think the electorate at large has a hard time thinking about woman, a woman as the commander-in-chief of, of the United States.
0: But yet men who have not served don't seem to face that kind of scrutiny.
1: Absolutely they do not face that kind of scrutiny and again I, you know i keep going back to this because it's really important but uh... media bias um, gender stereotypes um, who we have historically seen in the role and i th- i think your point is well taken about barack obama um, y- we didn't. We couldn't imagine a black president until there was a black president, and I think the same thing about a woman president. Like we can't. We don't understand what's possible until we actually allow it to happen and to be possible, and really um, give up on a lot of the biases and you know predisposition mm-hmm. about who can lead. And and let me tell you something. One of the things that has really, over the last year or so, has really been troubling for me is that people talk about electability. They say, you know, we need someone who can win against Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the bottom line. But when they think about electability, they, of, they often think about a white man. And that's why they're leading in the polls. I have to be very honest here. But what they're not thinking about is what kind of leader do we need in this moment? And who's going to capture the hearts and minds of a broad electorate? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, do we want to think more broadly about it? Or do we want to say this person, because he is a particular demographic, is the one who should challenge Donald Trump? So
0: in your view, are maybe some of the Democrats getting this wrong, that they're spending too much time thinking about who can be Donald Trump, rather than who can be the best president.
1: <laughs> well, we well actually, we do need to be thinking about who can be Donald Trump. I think mm-hmm. that's right in electability, but the way we're thinking about electability seems a bit off to me. But
0: that you select your Democratic candidate based solely on these Trump metrics, and not maybe on who the best candidate, who the best president would be.
1: Yes, and so when I think about, uh, I think that's I think that's right. So thinking about um, who's the best to go up against Trump that's one metric that's one way of thinking about it but another way of thinking about it possibly is who can really deliver for us the kind of country we want to see what are the values what are the things that we care about you know who's going to excite the the you know the broad coalition of voters we need to win we need to be thinking about that and so far the candidates we have on tap especially at the very top um, haven't been able to, to articulate that in a real way.
0: Nicole, how can people find out about the Institute for Women's Policy Research?
1: So they can visit our website at IWPR.com uh, excuse me, .org and they can also visit us on social media uh, IWPR Research and you can find me at c nicole Mason and I'm Really excited about this this upcoming election cycle, and it's going to be exciting. And I just can't wait to see what happens and who the eventual nominee will be. It's going to be a busy year. It's going to be a busy year.
0: Nicole Mason has been our guest on the Hill this time. She is the president and the CEO of the Institute for Women's Policy Research. Nicole, thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: You've been listening to the On the Hill podcast from Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. I'm Tom Fitzgerald. We thank you for joining us this time. We'll talk to you next time.
1: Volvieron. Los McNugget Buddies are back at McDonald's. Y ahora tienen un nuevo look, diseñado por el streetwear designer Kerwin Frost. Cada Buddy tiene su propio vibe, pero cuando el squad está completo, se ven fire. Complete your Buddy Squad ordenando the Kerwin Frost Box. Cada caja incluye un Buddy, tu elección de una Big Mac o unos Timpey's Chicken McNuggets, papitas medianas y un refresco mediano. Disponible desde el 11 de diciembre. Para En McDonald's participantes por tiempo limitado hasta agotar existencias.